Welcome to the second episode of season two of Midwesternish, where we discuss philosophies of work, culture, and everything in between. Ryan McCarty is the co-founder of Culture of Good. The philosophy of Culture of Good is this. When your employees and your customers rally to a common cause, good things and even great things can result. And today's workers seek out workplaces that embrace a bigger cause. That means that if you want to attract or even keep your best employees, you might need to rethink the connections between doing work and doing good and how they can be directly related. So listen in as we discuss remote shifts in a pandemic and how it impacts culture, as well as why fear among executives holds companies back and what those of us in non-executive roles can do to create impact. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Midwesternish, where we discuss philosophies of work, culture, and everything in between. Uh, this episode's guest is Ryan McCarty. So Ryan lives in the Indianapolis area, and he does work with Culture of Good, which is a company that he co-founded, and they focus on how to create change that engages employees and create sustainable, uh, positive change in organizations. Now, um, Ryan, why don't you introduce yourself and, and what you do? And I'm sure you're going to explain culture of good way better than I just did. <laughs> no, I was actually writing down your answer <laughs> or, or how you would describe it. I think it's really good. I'm going to update the website. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, but thanks for having me on and, and hello to all your listeners. Um, yeah, so I, uh, grew up here in uh, Midwest, and but I also do feel a little Midwestern-ish because I spent a lot of mm-hmm. my life in New York and, and came back here and, um, you know, spent the first 20 years of my professional career in full-time ministry and doing very missional, purposeful, meaningful work in, in the nonprofit space and ministry. And for a time, I was a pastor and uh, then took my took everything that I gained in, in terms of that meaningful, purposeful work and just brought that into corporate America and, and started asking questions like, can we work for more than just a paycheck? And, and what if we mobilized all of your employees to go out and do good and make an impact? And what, what would that do for the internal culture of your business and, and driving the success of your organization, not just around profitability, but having a, a really embedded sense of purpose and what you do as a business and knowing why you do it. And, uh, and so, yeah, so the culture of good came out of really out of my experience in, in ministry and, and, and doing work that was very human, uh, the human element of rehumanizing business and remembering, who it is that are actually coming to work for us and, and who it is that uh, does business with us in terms of our customers, you know, and, and then recognizing that where we do business, we should be doing good. And what if we, what if we took all, all of those components and brought it into one movement, you know, cause they, they feed each other, you know, if, if employees are very engaged and happy and, and connected, then that impacts the customer experience that impacts the business. And therefore we can even do greater good in the world. And so culture of good came out of that kind of philosophy of, you know, businesses 
should be doing good. That profit is not evil, but it's a great catalyst for even doing greater good in the world. And, and, but really there needed to be a, a, a methodology to it. So culture of good created the methodology and the tools for companies to be able to do mm-hmm. that. That's great. Now you mentioned, um, that the, the work that you're engaged in is primarily about rehumanizing business, which, um, indicates that there is some humanity that has been lost along the way. Um, so tell me about, you know, when we're looking at the current business landscape, we'll talk about more like the, the COVID landscape, but just in general, what are you seeing in terms of what companies are missing most right now that is detracting from making cultures of good a reality? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I think I think there's possibly several ways to answer that question. One of the ones that really um, is amplified in my mind, just as you're you're asking that question, is is really authentic leadership, right? This very um, uh, leadership that is vulnerable, um, leadership that really sees its own role within business as um, legacy building and very purpose driven. Right. And because mm-hmm. ultimately the greatest obstacle that I find with building a culture of good in an organization is if there's not leadership buy-in uh, if, if leaders aren't engaged, fully engaged uh, in, in what they're doing and, and why they're doing it then it's really difficult to grow any type of movement when there's not that leadership component. So first of all, I would say that it, in, in what, how I would say it is if, if leaders don't embody something, then, then the people won't embrace it, you know, but when we see our leadership step up to the plate and really care um, and really want to see change happen in their world and in their workplace, then, then that's where, we start to see the culture of good start to grow and and to to really become a, a really driving force, not not just within the business, but also within their their employees' personal lives and and within the experience of their customers. And you know that rehumanizing of business says that we have to get beyond seeing employees just as numbers that come in to work for us. Uh, but we really are reaching out to them in, in human ways. I think it was a stat that I saw that within the first couple months of quarantine, that less than 40% of employees stated that their boss reached out simply to say, you know, how are you doing? Just, just wanting to know how they're doing after a couple months of being quarantined, you know, we're so business minded that, that we lose sight of, of, the human aspect of what business is. And, and it really is a human endeavor. Uh, I would, you know, so. Yeah. One thing that's interesting to me about that is, so, you know, our company, the, the company I work for spring venture group um, went remote in Mar- mid March, probably like March 12th or 13th. And um, essentially like we had to, to migrate everything overnight to, remote. And one thing that it made me realize that I've communicated to the people that I work with is that um, this whole process for those of us who have been fortunate enough 
to work in industries where we could go remote um, has, has more than ever illustrated that companies are not the physical spaces that we occupy. It's actually the people. It's made up of, you know, you and me building something together. That's something that I've really driven home for the people I work with. And I think that um, for companies that have realized that, you know, they've been able to kind of translate the cultures that they do have to remote. But I'm curious, you know, what you're seeing about companies that aren't like what, what is and isn't translating well uh, remotely if we're just talking generally right now? Yeah. Just what is it that we're actually building? Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. if, 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 you know, it's, it's exactly what you said. Um, you know, it's, it's the people, it's the humans that work collectively together toward this mission, toward this purpose. And there's a, there's a lacking, there's an, a tremendous uh, miss when leaders aren't focused on that purposeful, meaningful, fulfilling work that's, um, that's lacking that sense of what, what, what is the mission that we're on? You know, what's the end game? What's the goal here? Like, what are we trying to accomplish? Uh, and I say right. we, because it's not, you know, what am I trying to accomplish for you as my boss this week? You know, what's the, what's the tasks? It's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's not just knowing what you do every single day, but knowing why you do it. You know, what is that, higher sense of purpose, that sense of calling. And that speaks back to the work I was doing before I came into, you know, for-profit business. It was very missional. You know, I, I go back to that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that collective understanding that we are moving in this direction because um, we intend to accomplish this mission together. Uh, and that's why I say that that what we need more than ever is that authentic leadership, not not titles, position, rank, authority, you know, all of that's fine. And, it, and I think that comes with leadership, but but it's not automatic. Leadership isn't just this automatic thing that happens when you get a higher title than everyone else. Uh, leadership happens when you really step up to the plate and lead. And, and we need that more than ever. We need leaders to to really step up to the plate and, and ask of themselves, what, what is the mission that I'm asking people to come alongside of, of me for? What are we looking to accomplish? And, um, you know, because if not, then, then we're left to uh, really seek after fulfilling our sense of purpose at work simply by the paycheck we get on a Friday. And, um, and although that might work for some, it just has never worked for me. I've always had that sense of like, you know, if we could really, really mobilize uh, groups of people, collective groups of people toward creating positive change in the world and, and give them a sense of, of inspiration when it comes to what they do every single day. Now we're onto something that really speaks to the human aspect of, uh, how we're wired. What is it that we really want when we wake up in the morning and, and why, why do we do what we do? And, and so, yeah. So I think that's where the, the lacking is in that sense of mission and purpose behind the work. Yeah, I think that's really important. One thing that I try to impart on the, the people that I work with and the programs that I lead and manage is that um, titles 
uh, and rank don't create leadership. Mm. Leadership creates titles and rank. So it's the other way around. Yeah. And that, you know, you have to start there and, and do those things first. And then everything else just kind of happens as a consequence of that. Um, one, of the, one of the things that you mentioned is, you know, that shared consciousness and the why and what we're actually working toward. I think what I'm interested in is for companies um, that already had a hard time doing that before uh, COVID <laughs> and everything. Uh, what advice would you give them about how to do that now um, that, you know, if there are companies that have empl- uh, remote employees where, um, you know, going home and then not being on the same page only further exacerbates the issues of being able to align and move in, in the same direction or a new direction altogether. Um, yeah. What, what, what advice would you have or what thoughts? Do you have? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. You know, when, when we're talking about a collective conscious, when we're talking about um, connectivity and, and shared experience and a general sense of something, we're talking about culture, right? We're talking about the overall feeling first uh, that leads to belief that eventually leads to behavior. And if we're not careful, we answer the question you just asked by saying, how do we um, how do we get people to to be engaged, right? Or, or how do we connect with our employees now as opposed to what we did then? And I think um, now is maybe the only time we can ask that question is is because we're living in the now. But um, if if we weren't working on this prior to uh, remote work, uh, then you're absolutely right. It amplifies the realities of disconnect now. Um, this, this should have been something that we were working on prior to. Now, now that we're in the now, uh, we have to really take a step back and, and uh, be willing to listen first and engage with our employees in, in a, a way that you would engage with any relationship that's in your life. You know, there's times I have conversations with my wife and I say, listen, you know, I just want to make sure, you know, we're on the same page at all as well. Are are there better ways that I could be a husband for you? Um, And, and what that does is it allows me to have an understanding of if I want to engage with this person, the last thing that I need is just another program or another idea to do so. Whoever I'm looking to engage with, the way to engage with a person is through relationship. And it's taking time to have that conversation and say, you know, from from a leadership standpoint, mm-hmm. um, individually with every single employee, regardless of whether it's 10 or 10,000, those conversations should be happening more often than not. Uh, where it's where it's not just I'm checking in with with everyone to ensure that they're getting their work done, or I'm checking in with them to ensure that you know uh, they may not need something from me as it pertains to work. But what about them as a person, right? And and really taking that step forward towards saying, all right, first step. I if I'm going to engage with someone, I need to you know have have that conversation. What, what is it that they're looking for right now that would be engaging? Because I think every, 
every there could be that collective experience that's really tied together through purposeful work, which culture of good does, but it really comes back to that, you know, what is, what is true leadership, you know, and, and how do we integrate that and embed that within the organization as a whole? Uh, it, it lives and dies there. You know, culture is not something that we can just put on autopilot and hope for the best, you know, culture in that, that feeling and that sense that people have the essence of who we are as, as human beings within this organization um, lives and dies with leadership. You know, it's, it really does. And, and I keep speaking back to that. Uh, but I, I think that's the first thing that needs to happen is we need to have really curious questions and ask, you know, have compelling conversations with our employees and, uh, on a human level and just, yeah, start by saying, how are you doing, you know, and how can I show up for you as a leader? You know, what, you know, just even in asking those questions and then following up and following through is going to make such a profound impact on the experience that employees have. And, and, uh, so that, that layer of middle management and, you know, where you have team leaders, that are really stepping up to the plate that feel equipped to, and feel empowered and have been given permission to care about their team, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's going to go really far. It went far uh, before remote work. And it's, it's, uh, it's really what I believe to be, um, you know, life or death when it comes to an organization in terms of its vibrancy and engagement with the employees, it, it really comes down to that. Yeah. You know, one thing I'm curious about is, what do you see more of? Do you see more of executive level, like C-suite executives who are very interested in implementing what you're talking about, but are held back by like middle management cultures that don't implement those things faithfully? Or do you see the other way around where there's a lot of desire to do that from more middle management leadership, but not so much at the top? The latter. Yeah. The latter. That, no, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I'm also a keynote speaker. Well, I did a lot of traveling and keynote prior to everything, you know, with the quarantine, but you know, if I open up for Q and a, if I'm talking to a hundred people or 2000, 3000 people in the audience, if I open up for Q and a, that that's the question that I always get every single hundred percent of the time I'm going to be asked. Um, okay, Ryan, we love this. Every company needs a culture of good. We believe in this. You don't need to say another word. But what if leadership just really doesn't care? What if what if they don't care? Mm-hmm. Uh, my first answer usually is find another place to work. <laughs> sure. you know? yeah. uh, because, I mean, honestly, you know, we, we should – if, if possible, we should work in, in environments and workplaces that share our common values. You know, that speaks back to uh, the culture and, and everything else. Uh, but, but secondly to that is, you know, it, it really um, can happen in a middle management level as far as that movement growing. Eventually, it has, there has to be executive uh, ownership buy-in, um, which is one of the steps of building a culture of good. We, we actually go through the, 
you know, the there's video and everything else, a whole curriculum around, but it, it really early on in the steps of building a culture of good, you know, one of the first steps is about leadership buy-in them under truly understanding what culture of good is and fully understanding how it impacts their business and, and has a positive impact on their bottom line. Uh, you know, the first rule of business is we have to stay in business. And if we don't have really good profitability, we won't have the, the uh, uh, ability to fund the work that we want to do as far as culture of good. And so that, that early on buy-in is really important. But to answer your question, yeah, more so um, middle management and then, you know, uh, then getting the buy-in from top leadership, top executive leadership is, is key. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, your, 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 your average manager and leader within business and, and people in general, and I think executives as well, want to do and work in ways that give them a sense of meaning and fulfillment and purpose. Like no one's, no one's fighting against the culture of good saying we don't, we don't believe that it's the right Right. thing to do. Yeah. I think that, that what, what you're saying right now really touches on that a lot of times people just don't know what to do. And I don't think anybody wakes up and says, you know what, I want to either work for or help perpetuate a shitty culture today. Right. I don't think anybody wakes up and says that, you know, hopping out of bed in the morning, eager to just like create some like discouragement among the, <laughs> the employees. Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, what would, and I think a lot of people who are in more of that like middle management role, really wanting to create change, but not sure how to do that kind of go between this like back and forth of like, is it, I think, especially among more like millennials and, and Gen Z now that they're entering the workforce, the questions are, should I, should I stick it out and try to like be that change? Or should I go try to find somewhere that's better aligned? What do you think our, our mental calculus should be for deciding which way to go? It depends on how quickly you want to get there, you know? Um, right. That's true. I, yeah. You know, it's, it's creating change when you, when you don't, when you're not the decision maker is really complex. It takes longer to do so, but you can within your own sphere of influence, build a culture of good within your team and within your department. Mm-hmm. And, and we've seen that happen in organizations as well. And, and, you know, over time, you know, it continued to grow and, and that was, that was great. Um, for, for those that have more of a makeup where, you know, they, they want to get to, to really living purposeful and meaningful and fulfilling, you know, seeking out places of work that align with their values. I, I say, go for it. You know, um, I've, I've been in cultures, be it in ministry and nonprofit work and for-profit work that um, did not align with my values and the leadership was not supportive in terms of giving uh, employees and team members permission to really step into the fullness of where they, they, you know, who they were, you know, and because of that, um, you know, it's, it, it's draining it, you know, there's, there's a high percentage of employees right now that are facing burnout and have always been at that, 
you know, state, but, but more so now. And, and, um, and I think it's, I think it really stems back to what you're saying. Like if no, no one's waking up saying, I want to contribute, uh, toward a, a really shitty culture. Um, uh, but also if we're not giving permission mm-hmm. to do something about it, then, you know, if, if my hands are tied when I'm going to work every single day and I, I don't see an end, uh, to, uh, the current culture or the beginning of a culture that uh, aligns with my values and, and the, the vision for what I see for my future, then yeah, uh, that's a, that's a long answer to a very, that could be very simple, but, uh, but as, as quick as, as quick as you want to get to a place of feeling fulfillment, sometimes you have to change the environment that you're working in. And if you can't do that, then you have to change the environment altogether. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. I mean, there's not really one answer. It's about more yeah. where you're at and what your priorities are. What, yeah. um, you know, one thing that I'm thinking about is that there's this um, idea primarily about like relationships and relationships that need mending or anything like that. And, uh, or if someone's in a tough spot in life, you know, something that can be asked is, you know, what is the, the first sign that things have started to get better. You know, like if you were to imagine that things were better today, what would be the first sign? And it could be something on a personal level, you know, like, Oh, if I, if I was able to just laugh a little bit more, you know, I think things would be better. If we're talking about like an organization's culture, um, what are some of the first signs that you think of when things are starting to get on the right track toward a culture of good? Yeah. When we, so we've done some pretty extensive work to be able to answer that question. Um, and, and the work that we did was a lot of asking those, that same question to hundreds of employees, actually over a thousand employees and, and doing uh, one-on-one interviews and just asking uh, around the idea around um, specific to culture of good, because we saw the positive results that were coming out of it but we didn't understand what the secret sauce was, you know, like what, what are the ingredients? Right. Um, And so those early things were, you know, the permission to care uh, where people really had a sense that it mattered that they were caring about each other, that they, that the leadership cared about them, uh, their boss or manager, whatever. Um, Secondly, that they were given the, um, ability to see how their work contributed toward the betterment of the business in terms of the success of the business motivated by if we do better work, we're actually going to be able to do more good in the world. So it was motivated by that. Uh, Thirdly, it really came down to, uh, you know, human connection. And I know that's really tricky right now because of where we're at again with a lot of remote work and, um, People not, you know, you know, being able to give someone a high five or a hug or shake a hand or, you know, face to face conversations in offices. Uh, so it's a, you have to be a little more creative around that. But that, right. that connection it was really important. Then inspiration where where leaders and uh, employees were inspiring their peers uh, to go and do good and, and encouraging them in those ways. And then and then lastly, just really having a culture that was authentic, you know, that, that the employees really believed. And, and I, I keep going back to it. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, it really, it really is 
uh, leaders taking a step out of the business for a moment and, and asking of themselves, like, what is it that, that we could do different? Um, what is it that we could do better? What are our oppor- opportunities to inspire, connect, and give permission to care and, and all of those, all of those um, elements of culture of good? You know, it's, it's not one singular action or, or movement. Um, but I would say if, if we could take those five, uh, what within the culture of good we call promises, and as an organization, make those to our employees, that this is, as an organization, what we stand for and what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to commit to this long term. It's not something that's not a flavor of the month where, you know, uh, it's we're going to commit to this and, and we're going to ask that you make that same commitment to each other and to the customer that then we would start to see substantial change uh, in a real level, right? Like, like beyond just theory and philosophy of, of how things should work, that that's how to actually start seeing actual change take place. Yeah, that's great. Well, um, you know, one of the things that I'm always curious about is, you know, I've, I've asked a lot of questions. Is there anything in terms of the work that you're doing right now, um, you know, that you're finding out that's interesting, that's got you thinking in different ways lately? Like, have you, have you uncovered anything really interesting or, um, or insightful about the work that you're doing? Hmm. Yeah, it's, um, I, I did, I didn't realize how impactful, purposeful work was in terms of engaging a remote or decentralized workforce. Um, we built the culture of good um, across 42 states, uh, like 3,000 employees across 42 states. Um, and so in, in essence, it was very remote. You know, you've got two, three employees working together in Berwick, Pennsylvania, and then you have two or three employees working together in Atlanta, and then you have two or three in Arizona. Um, but collectively, there was this sense of feeling connected to a larger good and a greater purpose and mission. And, and because of that, it was very eye-opening to me because there were questions from leaders and you know, I don't consider myself an expert in any way. Um, just a practitioner. I, I'm not an academic. I didn't go to school for any of this. But something that's been kind of eye-opening to me is how how vital it is that we all have that common sense of mission and purpose together, and, and how that ties us together. Um, you know, I. I think I, I didn't even recognize the the uh, the profound impact that that had on the decentralized kind of remote work. Um, beyond that, you know, it's 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 been really eye opening to me how um, most of what I was doing was required me to be present physically, you know, and so a lot of my time lately has been you know, taking all of these concepts and, and creating video and, and really pressing into how, you know, I've, I've challenged myself. And I, I think it's the challenge that a lot of companies are continue to have and, and are addressing right now is what now, you know, what, what are we, what are we doing with our products, services, solutions, you know, and, and then does it still, 
um, does it still speak back to why we're in business in the first place, you know, and how important it is for companies to, to look back, you know, if it's third generation, why did, why did grandpa or grandma start this business to start with? Right. Mm-hmm. What, what was, you know, why, why do we exist as, as an organization in this world? And, um, so nothing, nothing so profound that it's mind blowing at this point, but, um, how, how vital purposeful work is and, um, how it's, it's not just a trend or something that, uh, is, is kind of cool to do because the millennial or Gen Z, uh, is interested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I think is profound is the fact that when we launched culture of good and we've continue to do this work, the early adopters and the ones that continue to be the greatest supporters uh, were the older generation, uh, not the millennial and the Gen Z. Mm -hmm. That's a side note, which, you know, uh, I I think is important to say, because I I believe that every every generation wants wants to have that sense of purpose and meaning. And and, uh, so that's something else that we've seen that that I think was really cool to experience. No, I I do think that there is this narrative. um, There's this narrative intergenerationally that the the generation that came before you is always like the one that ruined the world and the worst (laughs) one ever. Um, So, you know, I think that there, there's a lot of, of room for understanding that everyone at different levels and different ages is trying, is trying to, for those who want to do it, though, there are those trying to do that work. So it, it's not like, you know, siloed to one generation that gets it and one that doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I, I look at, I look at my daughters, they're 27 and 22 and, and um, you know, they're, they're challenging the status quo, which mm-hmm. is what the generate, what my generation did and, and my parents did and their parents did. And, you know, it's, it's that the vibrancy of youth and the questioning of, of, all right, thank you, older generation for what you handed off to us. Now we're going to, we're going to take it a step further and we're going to, we're going to challenge again, you know, uh, thank God for the civil rights movement. Um, and again, a generation's coming up saying it's the work's not done yet, you know, and I think that's happening within the workforce as well as, you know, challenging the status quo, you know, there's, there's always shifts, you know, eight to 10 years within business or shifts of, you know, focus and, and, you know, what companies are focused on in a general sense. And, and I think that plays into that younger generation that's coming up saying, you know, why, why can't we think of this in a different way? And, uh, you know, early on when you're a child, you, you have that imagination, and, and I think in your 20s, that imagination is still very strong. And imagining the world in a different way is, is great to do. We don't have to adopt, um, you know, the status quo and continue to move forward. So I, I, love the, I love the younger generation, the vibrancy of imagination and, and how we do business. And that's going to require uh, those of us, myself, I'm 44, you know, my age and, and older in, in leadership positions and even some, some younger 30 year olds and younger than that, being able to look at that, the next generation and generation after them and, 
and and listen and and include them in on conversation, high level conversations within the organization, and and uh, and being willing to listen to to their voice as well, I think is really crucial. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, yeah, looking at looking at everything that you're doing, you know, one thing that I think is interesting to think about is: Do you ever have people who who push back on on what you're promoting and 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 you know ha- have thoughts against it or, or thinking about like, um, you know, it, it is really about the money, Ryan. It's not really about culture. If it helps us make more money, that's great, but it's ultimately about the money. Um, do you ever get people who who think that way, and how do you address it when that comes up? Yeah, I get it, and then I don't listen to them. yeah i mean the first the first time i was starting to build a culture of good the cfo was like questioning why i was even hired into the organization to like Mm -hmm. give away their money and you know like Mm -hmm. like why are you why are you hiring this pastor ministry guy to come in you know that doesn't really understand business and just you know give things away and and you know right and uh but but you know i I, I didn't listen to that. It just didn't really make any sense what they were mm-hmm. saying. And so you just keep pressing forward toward what you know is the right thing to do. And and when you do the right thing for the right reason, the right time comes about. And, and uh, you know, even, even just seeing the impact on employees' lives and the transformative work that culture of good brings into organizations for for the employees that that same CFO is one to this day is one of the one of the great supporters within their organization to this day um you know and so you know it's met with skepticism sometimes on that level other times within the employee employee base uh teammates uh from time to time have it's been met with skepticism wondering okay you know, because there's already a, a culture of distrust within the organization. So now you're pressing into building a culture of good within a culture of distrust. And what that is uh, going to lead to is skepticism. Um, and, uh, you know, again, more distrust, which was already a part of the, the culture, um, because they're wondering, all right, why, why are we really doing this? To your point, okay, we know why you're doing it. Because all you've cared up to this point is about money and profit. So you're not building a culture of good because it's called good for the world. It's good for your pocketbook, you know. So so that skepticism and distrust right. is certainly something that we've we've also encountered. And uh and again, what's what's been key in, in those moments is having those conversations. And that goes back to what I was talking about earlier, those five promises of like, you know, care, connect, inspire all of those um, and uh, be authentic and drive the business. The, when we make those promises as an organization and we stick to them, the, the, way, to, the way that a culture of good is built uh, from out of that space of where there could be levels of distrust is that the company sticks to it long term. Mm-hmm. So building a culture of good is not something where you just like, you know, inject some program into your, we're not a program. You can't like lay um, it on top. It's, it's something that's built and yeah, throughout everything. Yeah, you can't, exactly. You can't staple this on the side of your business and say, look, we, you know, we've got a culture of good over here. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, Culture good really enhances what you're already doing. Um, But it also, like to your point, it becomes very much DNA structural cellular level within the business. It's embedded in meetings and huddles and how we interact with customers and how we interview potential uh, employees and how we onboard and how we enter, you know, just every aspect of the business then over time. And it's not an overnight thing, you know, over time you start to see where culture of good makes a sense in everything that happens within an organization. Um, So yeah, it's, it's uh, it it takes time and it it really uh, you know, once you stick to it though, uh, it, it starts to become embedded within uh, really the entire organization. And, and then the distrust and skepticism and, you know, you're just doing this for money goes away. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does. It's, it's eventual, but it goes away. No, that makes sense. I mean, if, if there's that sort of institutional, those issues at the institutional level with trust and with uh, questioning motivations and things not being the way they should, it's going to be more of an uphill battle to implement that from the start. So you kind of have to go back a little bit and rewind to, to get to a point where you're on the same page um, before you can really start building that, you know? Yeah. And, and as leaders admit to some of that, you know, I mean, you don't have to have a perfect culture, um, but you know, and there is no such thing as a perfect culture, but yours doesn't have to suck either. You know, like <laughs> right. so it really, really goes back to like being open and transparent and vulnerable and saying, Hey, we've, you know, we, we, we do have distrust within the organization and we recognize it and we know why it's there and we know we've contributed toward it. Um, man, I mean, if, if leaders could, could admit to realities within their organization and not just sit behind a desk and say, it's just the, you know, the stupid young people that are working for us or whatever it is. You know, we, we try to deflect, um, leaders don't do that. They just don't because there's no way to lead something that's not your responsibility, you know? And so when you're deflecting it on your people and saying, well, it's distrust because, you know, that's that millennial generation or, you know, Simon Sinek gets on and, you know, video and says they're all entitled brats. And, you know, or did he really? I didn't know that. Well, I don't know if he called them brats, but there is a video where he talks about the millennials and how, you know, the whole like, you know, they they, you know, feel entitled to be able to gain without putting the work in and they were given participation badges, you know, when they went to run, whether they won or not. And it's just, I always you know, thought that was a really funny argument because who, who would have given them the participation badges though? The other generation. Yeah, we're the ones that raised them, you know, like, and I love, I love, I love the next generation and, and I love all, all of that, but it kind of perpetuates that same idea. You know, it's like, this is this is why our culture is the way that it is, and it, it really has less to do with me as a leader than it does the overall complexity of either, you know, this percentage of our workforce is this generation or, right. you know, we, we, we deflect. And by doing so, it just continues to perpetuate that same distrust. So leaders coming in to meetings and saying, you know, over the course of the next year, we want to start building a culture of good, but here's what we've recognized. There are levels of distrust in our organization. We do recognize as leaders that 
you know, we've, we make so many changes so frequently that, that there's a lack of stability within the workforce. And we do recognize that, you know, uh, we've, we've not taken the time to really establish a culture where people are connecting on a human level. And we, you know, just being open and honest about that stuff and saying, we, we know that comes down to our leadership and we're willing to, to do whatever it takes to make these promises to you and, and to grow this. And here's the reason why. And I think, I think, I think that's really what it comes down to is um, when leaders are willing to be vulnerable with uh, not just the good of our culture, the good of our organization, but also being willing to say we've done some things wrong. Uh, that goes a really far way. I remember doing that as a dad with my girls, you know, admissions of guilt. And when I was, when I said something wrong or I lashed out in anger and said it in a certain way that, you know, I shouldn't have being willing to go back and say, look, I, I did that wrong, you know, and for leaders within an organization to say, Hey, we've done this wrong in some ways and we've done some things right. And we want to continue to build on what we're doing right. Um, right. And, and, you know, that's, that goes really, really far towards starting to build trust, you know, yeah, if I, I feel like you don't, if I feel like you don't get what's going on, I'm not going to trust you. Exactly. And it's one of those things where if, if we just like say like, yep, here's where the misstep happened. Here's where the mistake happened. Then we can just move on. We don't create these weird environments yeah. where we end up defending either the the institution or the behaviors driving those unhealthy things and we can just move on. But, you know, there's something in us that I think it, uh, you know, for those in leadership who don't do that, there's like a self-preservationism where that the culture of, of distrust and, and lack of safety goes all the way up the chain too. Um, you know, I've had conversations with senior people at companies who, um, are almost hesitant to say certain things because they're worried that they're going to get in trouble and they're supposed to be the ones in charge. Um, the culture of fear. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. The culture of fear. And it, and it perpetuates all the way up the chain as well as down too. Yeah. You know, we, we, it's, it's, um, it's, it's recognizing that what got us to where we're at is not going to get us to where we're going, you know? Um, and, mm -hmm. and you could speak to that toward, you know, uh, remote work or, you know, the, the new realities and normals that we're facing, but what, what was working before. And, and that's even within our leadership, you know, sometimes we, you know, build up a, um, a reputation and we've got, you know, finally got some titles and some stability and we had a job. Now it's a career. Mm -hmm. We don't, we don't want to mess with that because a career is so much better than just a job. And so as leaders, we live in this, we lead through fear because mm -hmm. it's the self-preservation that you're talking about. And because we lead through fear, we perpetuate fear in those that work for us. And, um, you know, I always like to say, like, the career isn't the end of the conversation, Mike, to really have a sense of calling in life is really, really what brings that fulfillment. You know, careers are great and they give us that stability and, and, you know, I'm all for that. But within a career, you can also have a sense of calling and, and a deep seated purpose in what you're doing. And, 
And uh, that's that's the next level of where we're headed is in, in our leadership. But we have to we have to really stop that culture of fear within ourselves mm-hmm. uh, and leading through fear. Uh, that opens up uh, an entirely new experience for people that work for us. Absolutely. Well, this was uh, this was really great talking to you, Ryan. I thank you a lot for your time and your your thoughtfulness. I think the work you're doing is obviously very important, and uh, I think the changes you're creating take time. But uh, yeah. you know, I'm confident that over time the the impact that you'll have had across several organizations and, and people and employees uh, is going to be very long lasting. Thank you, Alex. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on today. You know, I just, I just encourage, encourage anyone that's listening to reach out if they, if they'd like to hear more. And, and um, yeah, I just, I just want to see this become more and more of a movement. Um, across this country, across the world. And, and there are, you know, I, I don't want to paint a bleak picture of where the workforce is because yeah. I am finding a tremendous amount of leaders that are stepping up to the plate that really do care about their employees and really do care about their customers. And they really do care about money and they care about success as well. And I don't think they have to be at odds. I don't think we get to, we have to choose between, profit and purpose. You know, I think we can have both. And, and I think those both really matter to one another. And, and I'm seeing that across all industries. Um, people are just really saying, like, how do we do this? And, and that's, mm-hmm. that's what I'm looking to have more and more of those conversations. So yeah, a flag that I had hung up in my, uh, my team's area was do well by doing good. Uh, mm. They're not they're not mutually exclusive. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate your time today. I appreciate it, Alex. Thanks for having me on, man. I, I enjoyed philosophizing with you a yeah. little bit. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. As always, thanks for listening. And please visit MidwesternIsh.com for more. Stay tuned for more content coming soon.